Hey everybody, welcome to Momletics. I'm your host, Rebecca Sheehan. Here at Momletics, we make politics palatable for parents. I know you're probably sick of hearing about gender identity issues. On one hand, we seem to be obsessing over the topic instead of focusing on, quote, more important things. But on the other hand, these issues are hard to ignore. Between Bud Light boycotts, transgender women peddling tampons, debates over puberty blockers, and gender-affirming care for kids, the topic remains front and center in our national discourse. Women-only spaces have become a battleground as well, as conservatives and far-left feminists alike fear for women's safety, not necessarily from trans women, but from male predators who do whatever it takes to infiltrate these spaces. Meanwhile, trans activists say that keeping trans women out of women's bathrooms, locker rooms, shelters, and prisons is discriminatory, and in many cases, illegal. So, as we continue to fight over these issues and insult each other for either putting pronouns in our email signatures or refusing to do so, China and Russia are passing the popcorn in the front row seats of our sparring match, kicking back and just waiting for the U.S. to implode. So really, let's stop this ridiculous sideshow and find some actual solutions to these complex, emotionally charged issues. In the spirit of finding common ground and bridging our divide, today's Momletics episode is focused on one gender identity topic where compromise is already in the works. I'm talking about transgender athletes and where to draw the line between encouraging athletic participation for all people and not discriminating against biological females. UPenn swimmer Leah Thomas brought this issue to a boiling point last year, and now both sides are fighting tooth and nail to include or ban transgender athletes from mostly women's sports. If you recall, Thomas was an average at best collegiate male swimmer. He ranked 554th in the men's 200 meter freestyle, but when he transitioned and joined the women's team, he not only won the 200-meter freestyle, but he shattered all previously held women's NCAA records because it's scientific fact that on the whole, men are bigger, stronger, and faster than women, which doesn't change even if they feel like a woman and changes an arguable amount after hormone therapy. To unpack this further, I'm so excited to welcome our guest, Erica Zendel, to the show today. She's the World Masters champion in a sport where I definitely wouldn't want to face a biological male, the martial art of jujitsu. She's a Princeton and MIT grad who's taken the road less traveled, to say the least. Erica is now a brown belt jujitsu instructor who's also a tech manager, writer, and sports journalist in her free time. And she has a lot to say on the topic of men in women's sports. Erica, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. It's I think the last time that you and I were in person talking might have been on a school bus in high school. Yes, full disclosure, Erica and I have known each other for a very long time. <laughs> and now that she's a professional athlete, I thought, what better person to have on the show than Erica? This has been a topic that I've wanted to cover for a long time. When we went to school together, you definitely did not do jujitsu then. I think we nope. were on the lacrosse team together, right? Yep. <laughs> So how and why did you get into jujitsu? I was fresh out of MIT, starting my first job, like proper corporate job, burning out pretty significantly. I was dating a guy who 
I thought was love my life, thought was the end game. And between a ton of work stress, that breakup, his move out, I was not in a good place. This was in fall of 2016. And I had a couple of friends. Those three people ended up leading me down the course uh, into jujitsu. The first one was a coworker who had been sedentary for as long as I'd known her and was the next time I saw her, she was, you know, running marathons and powerlifting. She was fitter than I'd ever seen her. And she had essentially reinvented herself in her entire life. Another friend of mine who had known me for a while was like, you need a hobby. Dating doesn't count because uh, that had been the chosen way of trying to uh, heal myself in the wake of the breakup. And the third friend was a classmate from grad school who had spent the summer in Thailand learning Muay Thai, was training at a place that did Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu in South Boston and was like, hey, you should try it out. So kind of all those things happened. And then I went to my first class. It was at a place called Broadway Jiu Jitsu in South Boston. It's still around. Anyone who's in that area should check it out. And it was love at first choke. It really cleared my mind in a different way. It gave me a chance to kind of be a student, focus on something and continuously improve at something that wasn't my day job, that wasn't another degree program, and meet people who also liked this very weird, very physical, very mentally and physically engaging hobby that was like nothing else I'd ever experienced before. What is it exactly for people who aren't familiar and how does it differ from your forms of martial arts? Traditionally, you walk into, you know, your Gracie Jiu-Jitsu down the street It'll look a little bit like your uh, typical karate studio. There's a belt and a ranking system. So it's brown belt, second highest to black, kind of like in it's karate. The one right before, it's the one right before right. black. Yep. You're so close. <laughs> and I'd say typical to like any other martial arts class, there's going to be some sort of warm up, a showing of technique, and some sort of sparring. The difference between jujitsu and some other types of martial arts is a lot of, you know, your karates and your taekwondos are going to focus a lot on like stand up types of works, like punching, kicking. Jujitsu is not a striking martial art. It focuses more on the application of joint locks and chokes. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in particular is mostly focused on ground fighting. And the reason why it became so popular uh, for MMA fighters to start having a skill set in Jiu-Jitsu is if somebody, you know, lays you out and knocks you to the ground, you got to find a way to either get yourself back up quickly or be dangerous even while you're lying on your back. What kind of blows do you take? Is it just getting knocked down or I'm just kind of trying to figure out the physical impact of this you can think of it a little bit like wrestling as well you're trying to you know dominate your opponent in a very particular way by like pinning them down using your weight against them using their balance or off balancing them to get in a more dominant position the points are kind of structured in such a way that the positions do increasing amounts of damage if you take somebody down or you reverse someone from being in a bottom position you end up on top that's a two-point sequence you have your knee on like the person's belly putting pressure on them, that, that can be two points. Um, you get around the person's legs and start kind of like smothering them in this sort of pin, like from the side of their body, side control, that's three points. You end up mounted on top of someone or kind of backpacked on them. Uh, so taking their back, that's a four point sequence. You're not getting punched in jujitsu, but what you are more likely to face is like somebody's full body weight is on top of you. You are constrained, your hips are controlled, your, shoulder, your arms are controlled or your arm is isolated, your neck is exposed. Uh, to be choked out. Um, you're putting yourself in a position where like, it's a very vulnerable uh, sport, especially in like the training room. You have to generate a lot of, you know, trust in your own body and trust in your training partners to keep you safe. And that sounds very intense <laughs> and not only physically challenging, but it sounds like you could get hurt if there's a discrepancy in, you know, your size and your weight. What would it look like if a male were to compete against you and have you ever competed <laughs> against a guy? Um, I have, as far as I know, 
Uh, I have not competed against a guy. I've competed against many people and people who might have other, you know, performance enhancing drugs or steroids. Steroids are not uncommon uh, at certain levels of competition in this sport. Uh, some people talk about it more openly than others. And like, even as recently as a couple months ago, like one of like the top prospects in the sport, a guy named Mika Galvao got popped, um, lost his world championship from last year. And it just went to the next guy in line. And people only typically get tested um, when they win the world championship or the Nogi world championship. Uh, in the IBJJF tournament format. So anything so that's happening- So your level, they could be doping. Yeah. And like at Masters, so for like anyone over 30, like they're not checking. I'm not on anything, but that doesn't mean that someone I faced was not. I've gone against uh, women who've competed in MMA and to go put your body through those types of weight cuts, that kind of training, that kind of recovery. Like, I don't know what they're on. So, but my fiance trains where he's like maybe 10 pounds heavier than I am. He never lets me forget that while I outrank him, he can beat the piss out of me. Like there's no, there's no question about that. Utilizing is, my proper technique. Yeah. With your proper technique. He can like beat me cameo. with his proper tech, <laughs> beat me with his proper technique. But you walk in any gym, they're going to be more boys than girls, more men than women. It is a luxury if you enter a gym where you do not have to train with a man at some point in your jujitsu experience. I'd argue it's not possible. There will sometimes be like women's only self-defense classes or like women's only classes. It gets a lot of press. It definitely brings women in the gym, but it's very hard to sustain a female presence at a jujitsu gym. No question. So when men train you, I assume they go easy on you. Yeah. To some extent. 100%. They have to. And I think what is funny that I remember at my old gym, and I still see this happen at other places or I've heard stories, they'll usually let like a female blue belt bring in like a day one white belt. And the female blue belt will like whoop, wipe the floor with like the new guy with the white belt. However, give that white belt guy a couple of weeks, enough familiarity around a technique set, he's going to give the blue belt trouble. Once that kid reaches the blue belt, like he's going to dust the girl. My perspective and my experience is the guy's going to beat a girl. I'm 32. I train with 16 year old guys that I'm like maybe 10 pounds heavier than, but like they dust me. I got wrecked by kids, boys and girls, but like the guy, the guys, like I, I feel endangered, no question. So to you, there's really no question that um, men have a distinct advantage in your sport. So how do you feel about trans athletes competing? The heritage of jiu-jitsu and how the sport started and the founding family in a lot of ways is very conservative. So I'm kind of curious even to see if somebody were trans in jiu-jitsu, would they be vocal about it? Would it hit like the highest competitive bodies of the sport or would it get kind of get shut down by more of the traditional ethos of jiu-jitsu? I mean, I feel like I know more about people's sexuality than I do about their gender identity in jiu-jitsu. There's like a non-nominal number of lesbian power couples in the sport of jiu-jitsu. Like I can name at least three off the top of my head. I've seen more figures in MMA, natal males competing in the women's division. The biggest one was probably in 2013 that I'd looked up was like Fallon Fox had made a name for herself and it caused like a fuss on Rogan where it was like, you know, bigger lung capacity, someone who used to be a guy is going to be able to just like totally knock out a female. Ronda Rousey uh, was vocal about not wanting to compete against Fallon. I mean, the fight never happened. I think Fallon got covered on a few journalistic outlets with her perspective, her story. And I think it's tricky where it's like, you want to respect that people want to live the way that they want to live, but to call, you know, a person who was born a woman 
went through female puberty a coward for not wanting to face somebody who went through male puberty with all of its advantages. It's hard to reverse that. I think I've seen a study where even when somebody has gone on, you know, the testosterone suppressants and goes on the female hormones, I think it still puts the trans woman athlete at a higher test level still than even a high test woman. The floor is still so much higher than the ceiling for the average female athlete. If we're talking about fairness and advantages, unless you're going to tell every female athlete to start like doping and using tests, I don't see how the hormonal suppression is necessarily the right or the complete answer to, Mm -hmm. to that question. So speaking of doping, you were sort of alluding to this earlier, but it seems like there is at least some of that in jujitsu. Oh yeah. In your opinion, would a trans athlete competing against a woman, is that sort of on the same level of unfairness? Because it's funny, no one argues that, oh, they should be allowed to dope. If you compare the two, doping and a trans athlete competing, then you start to see how ridiculous some of the arguments really are. And I think we're largely talking about biological men who, you know, choose to transition to becoming women. And I find that those cases are a lot more covered than the other way around. Which exactly is the point. I mean, if a woman becomes a man, she's certainly not going to have an advantage over biological males. I mean, and all power to the trans men who like go after and do that, because I think you are starting at a, you're starting at a huge loss in terms of the biology. I think it's especially troubling because there is a non-nominal volume of women who get into jujitsu due to like sexual abuse, self-defense, domestic violence, like not a small number. You can read stories on just about any like Women's Grappling Forum, handful on Reddit. I find it really problematic if someone's a domestic abuse survivor decides, hey, like I'm choosing to compete in jiu-jitsu because this is empowering for me. And then some guy says, you know, today I, I identify as female, goes in and just wrecks her. I don't see that as a far cry from things that could happen. And it's probably more likely to happen, I would say, at like a more local tournament or competition rather than some of the bigger ones. But who knows? I mean, the NCAA stuff with Leah is an example that this can go to the most exposed, higher levels of sport. Um, And I think the stakes are higher, however, for something like jujitsu or for MMA or something like rugby, where there's significant contact. I think for like running and swimming, like you're going to stay in your lane in the race. For something like rugby, like you're going to tackle somebody. Something like jujitsu, you're applying pressure on a choke or on a joint lock that you could really mess somebody up. It's really interesting because, you know, we've talked so much about the swimming issue There's no real physical threat to female competitors when Leah Thomas is in the next lane. As you mentioned, you know, there's obviously different kinds of threats. Yeah. But with you, I mean, you could actually get seriously hurt. Yeah, I mean, and girls hurt each other all the time, too. I've gotten just as many, you know, black eyes, bruises. If anything, it's kind of like a relief that there's a space where like women can feel empowered to release or indulge some of the more like aggressive, assertive, stereotypically masculine elements of one's personality. I think that that is really cool for jujitsu where you have people who are comfortable getting dressed up and like going out for a night in the town and are just as comfortable sweating around in a gi, like trying to strangle each other. That's not something that you see every day. How do you feel that that dynamic would change that safe space if a biological male were to enter it? I think it's a tricky thing because women are already, you could argue, in what would have been a more stereotypically male space. And women could be considered the intruders in the old school jujitsu idea of, 
this is a space for men to fight. There's so many interpersonal dynamics where you have to consider like safety, weight, and fairness. And there's probably like a mental calculus going on in the coach's heads of like, how do I make this experience valuable for everyone and minimize drama for me as a business owner? And like adults and kids too. A lot of martial arts schools tend to have really strong kids programs and little boys and little girls are just going after each other. I'd say some, to some extent, the challenges for kids and adults differ too in the sport. I think you were saying earlier before we started recording about the age cap. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. For the federation I mentioned before, the IBJJF, kids, boys and girls will compete against each other up until I think the year they turn 15 going on 16. That's when the age category juvenile one exists. Then there's juvenile two. And then adult is any time when you are competing between the ages of 18 and 29. That's but, very interesting though. So 15 and under boys and girls compete against each other. Mm -hmm. That says a lot to me. That's very indicative of the fact that although girls and boys start out on somewhat equal footing, clearly that diverges significantly once they hit puberty or once they've gone through puberty. That decision has got to have been made deliberately with an eye towards uh, safety for the competitors. And I mean, it makes sense to me that even if some kids are going through puberty a little bit sooner rather than later, right around 15 or 16, things are probably going to get a little bit more divergent in a meaningful way. So kind of on that topic of injuries and competing against the opposite sex, President Biden has done a lot trying to amend the Title IX laws. So the newest proposal would allow schools in certain cases to block transgender athletes from competing to prevent sports-related injuries and to ensure fair competition. So you can't outright ban transgender athletes from competing, but if there is a case where an athlete, a female athlete would be injured, then it's okay. It's better than a blanket yes or a blanket no. I'm, I'm glad they're at least acknowledging the possibility around injury, especially for sports where there is physical contact involved. It's non-negligible. I think for anyone who's like in college, like the stakes are so high if you want to go pro after college. I think it's really tough for female athletes to find opportunities as it is without someone who identifies as a girl for 365 days to just take that sponsorship. It's a lot of pressure to put on kids when they have to make a decision early if they want to give everything they have to professional athletic competition in particular. And I think it's, it would just be so disheartening for a girl to go through all of that, but know that they could never actually be the best because a biological male or transgender female would beat them. And I like guess the Leah Thomas, it's just, that's so sad to me. I, when I've written about this in the past, I've called that a new glass ceiling for women. Right. I read your piece. Which is why 21 states have passed or are considering legislation to restrict transgender athletes from participating. And they can still play soccer, but they just need to play on the boys team and not the girls team. A lot of the criticisms are blown completely out of proportion. No one's saying that they can't play sports. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, that's not even, that's not even a question. Yeah. And I mean, what happened with Riley Gaines uh, for whatever moment of speaking out and just getting vilified. Like, I, I think that there needs to be a willingness to engage on both sides of the house. Like you, you really so have right. to seek things out. So um, we'll get into solutions in a, in a little bit, but one headline read 27 non-binary athletes are running the Boston Marathon. The division is a sanctuary amid a rise of anti-trans legislation. When I saw that this marathon had added a non-binary category, I thought that was amazing news. I thought yeah. that was great because women don't have to compete against 
trans women. But this headline is making it seem like conservatives would think this is terrible. It's oh, not I'm about glad. prejudice. It's about fairness. One question I have, and I, didn't, I haven't looked into this, is, is there a different qualifying time if somebody is trans? Because I, th- I think the Boston qualifiers for women and men are different. And I'm wondering what it is for non-binary. It's also new. I, I'm sure that they are still working to fine-tune all of that because non-binary categories are in four marathons now. I think Boston, London, New York, and Chicago. I'll be curious to see over time, like how many uh, people enter that category and whether it takes away from the, the female or the male numbers that are usually allowed to register for the marathon. The incidence of gender dysphoria versus the number of people who are wanting to transition now are definitely out of whack because it's become such a social phenomenon. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. Yeah, I think the next 10 years will be a bit of a interesting experimental time to see when people are transitioning now or thinking of transitioning now, whether they go through with it. It is a little bit like a live clinical trial in terms of some of the medicine that is happening, uh, especially with with kids. And if I was you know, 13 again and didn't feel, com- and didn't feel comfortable with things in my life. And I was told that, you know, a certain pill or a certain shot could, could fix it. I would go for it. I would not be able to see the, a future down the line where like things could get better if I just gave it time. And I worry that um, just as a generation and culture that uh, people are pushing medicinal solution to problems that pills may or may not be able to solve. Absolutely. So I have some quotes here. I think it's important to look at both sides of it. And I'd just be curious what you think about these. It's not all about scholarships and competition. Most of these kids want to play sixth grade basketball and volleyball. That's what they want. When this law passes, they won't be able to. Again, I don't think that's true. Yeah, that that, like that's the thing I would point out. They won't be able to. They won't be able to play on the team that that suits the identity that they've chosen to espouse onto other people. Yeah. Oh, and this one's the best. So U.S. Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, said, every student, this sounds like a campaign speech, every student should be able to have the full experience of attending school in America, including participation in athletics, free from discrimination. Being on a sports team is an important part of the school experience for students of all ages. I mean, you and I were on a lacrosse team. Is that considered discrimination too, if you don't make the cut for something? Like, I think we need to be very careful when we use the word discrimination when it comes to a high school sports team, because you could argue that like, if it comes down to, if it were to come down potentially to performance and you're dealing with the you know, pubescent high schoolers, that probably a guy who's going through male puberty who then decides, nope, I'm a woman, that's going to take spots on a team. And I think if, you know, for players who are wanting to get a, college scholarship, they might not get as much playing time in a team sport because the transgender athlete might be the star. I mean, I think it's so clearly unfair and stacked against women. It just seems so backwards to me. I guess the question too is, well, something that'll evolve in the next 10 years is just how prominent will the number of like young trans kids become over time? And at that point, like, is there a case where you have like the Boston Marathons created, you know, their non-binary division? Is that going to start happening in high schools? Is, is there a case for it? And if there isn't enough of a critical mass to implement the same kind of solution at a like lower athletic level, how do you handle the one-off cases? Play on the boys it? team if, it, if you love the sport that much and if it matters that much to you. Or, I mean, I know that there are probably a lot of recreational and co-ed leagues as well. Maybe they uh, could have a non-binary league if there aren't enough at a specific school but there is a critical mass. 
and speaking of solutions, so I, I do think that the non-binary category is an intriguing one. So the world swimming governing body, FINA, their new gender inclusion policy, this is interesting, only permits swimmers who transitioned before age 12 to compete in women's events. And they proposed like the non-binary category and open competition category. Hmm. And they're saying, this is not saying that we're encouraging people to transition by the age of 12, but it's just what the scientists are saying that if you transition after the start of puberty, you have an unfair advantage. It makes sense. I hate to say it makes sense, but I mean, it matches what I'm see- what I see in jujitsu where, you know, they, they cap it at 15 and then it's like, nope, at, at that point, we assume that puberty's hit. And the guys, even if they were training contemporaneously with girls, even since like age five, there's going to be a difference there and it isn't safe for a natal female. Um, But yeah, I guess the catch is, would somebody transition a kid before age 12? Lots of lawmakers here are trying to make that illegal anyway. So I think the other category of solutions would be measuring levels of testosterone after the fact or having a waiting period where the muscle mass and power have time to sort of atrophy. If there can be some sort of scientific standard, not per sport, but just in general, I think that could be a viable solution as well. If somebody's in their athletic prime, every year counts too. So I wonder what would happen if you you know, you set that you set a new standard like that. Let's say it takes, you know, five years for a biologically male went through male puberty athlete to go from here to here. I mean, that takes a real chunk out of your, you know, professional prime too. So I'd be curious to see if that would restrict the number of people, trans athletes competing in their non-natal division, um, simply because it takes such a, that would take such a chunk out of your, your competitive career time. The International Cycling Union, they've changed it to two years that you have to wait now after starting the treatments. So what was it before? 12 months. Men ha- also have a longer athletic prime too. So that then that's another question mark. I think mm-hmm. you see like male UFC fighters like fighting up until like 38. I do not think that uh, the female fighters have the same kind of longevity. So what does the future look like for you with jujitsu? And is this something that concerns you? Maybe not for you, but for girls that are younger, that are going to be where you are someday. Well, one, I mean, they're starting a lot earlier and knowing that they want to make their make this their life. So, I mean, I train a gym where there's a crop of young kids who are being primed to potentially go pro with this if they so choose. And I'm trying to imagine a situation in which one of the guys decided one day, like, nope, I'm going to compete in you know the women's division. That would really suck for them. And the opportunities for women in jujitsu for asking for things like equal pay or equal like promotion, I write for a grappling media outlet. And one of the things that someone had said to me, there's a disproportionate coverage of male athletes versus female athletes, which on some level, it makes sense. There are more, like the men's divisions are bigger. There are more men in the sport, but finding, you know, talented female athletes and nurturing their growth and success and incentivizing it is hard enough without adding a trans woman into the mix in the competitive sport. I think that jiu-jitsu is interesting that there's already the existence of the concept of the open class where someone who is a rooster weight, you know, 110 pounds can compete against, you know, an ultra heavyweight and they match in the bracket that exists in every major uh, jiu-jitsu tournament where there's an opportunity to compete against someone regardless of size, so long as they're like the same 
belt rank, all of which is to say like the concept of like open weight exists. It wouldn't be a huge stretch of the imagination if open gender existed for the major tournaments, if that ever existed. However, what you'll notice even in open weight, the rooster weights are not signing up for it. It's mostly people who are of a certain weight and higher because the people who are super, super light, like they know that they're putting themselves at risk for getting injured by someone who like weighs twice as much of them. There's no cap for the highest weight class. Like you can be 300 pounds and be an absolute killer and walk into that open weight and, you know, you you can go and smush somebody. So I think it even says, speaks volumes that, you know, smaller men will not necessarily enter the open weight, even if they are like dominant and tenacious in their division. I wonder what the feminists from 50 years ago would have thought of this, burning their bras. Would they be aghast that we're even having to debate this now? Probably. And I also just kind of wonder too, going back to what I was saying before of just, I probably don't get enough of the perspective from men about how they feel about women training in their gym, because they think that when we talk about people having safe spaces or places where they can just kind of be themselves, we talk a lot about like women being able to have those spaces for themselves, but now it seems like there's nowhere for men to just kind of be men either. And I think that there is a bit of a loss there. I could find a point of view probably on both sides where women feel like men are encroaching into their space of the universe, but men also feel like women are encroaching into theirs with certain DEI programs at work and caps and things like that. And I'm certainly not an expert, but I can say that the 16 year old boys can beat the piss out of me and I would not want to face one of them in a women's division. (laughs) I hardly want to face them in the training room. I feel it for days after going hard with those guys. And there you have it. Wrapping up, Erica, thank you so much for your time today. Any other thoughts you want to leave us with? Anything else you want to add? I'd say, I'm assuming as a politics on momletics, you have quite a few mothers who might be listening to this podcast. And if there's one thing that I can at least recommend, it's like whether you're a mom to daughters or sons, I do think that jujitsu is a wonderful sport in terms of teaching like discipline, deliberate practice, uh, confidence, self-defense. It is something that I wish that, you know, I had not discovered at 26 and had discovered closer to six or younger. And I think that regardless of, you know, some of like the gender stuff, I mean, I can't speak enough for how beneficial it's been to be in a room where whether you're a girl who has like aggression or attention or other sorts of issues to go in and be able to find a place to express and relieve that kind of stuff, or to be a guy to have a place where you can, you know, roughhouse in a controlled way so that it doesn't affect other areas of your life. Put your kids into jujitsu if it feels right to you. I think it is a wonderful sport practice um, for any age, but especially kids. Yeah, I don't know if they have jujitsu classes for four-year-olds, but I will definitely check. Pretty sure they yeah, do. Yeah, maybe I'll sign ours up. <laughs> Got way too much energy. You'll you'll figure that out someday. <laughs> yeah, one one thing at a time. I have to deal with the the hot dogs first, then I'll deal with the the humans next. The dachshunds, yeah. Dogs are a handful. Well, Erica, thank you so much for joining us on Momletics today. This was a very interesting conversation, and I hope that it sheds some light on the topic for people who, you know, might have just heard one side or the other. And thank you all for joining us on Momletics today, where we make politics palatable for parents. We'll see you next time.